We are going to continue the journey of joy. And last week we had a message titled, Joy in the Faith. Paul told us to stand firm in our faith. He told us to strive side by side in the faith. And he told us that we are going to suffer for his name. Our faith was going to take it not on the chin, but for our faith we are going to suffer. But the one thing I didn't tell you and upon reflection, I thought, I, I really need to bring this to your attention. We did cover it, but uh, I should have stated the same truth, but in a negative way. Because so, sometimes when you, you state a positive truth, I mean, you state a truth in a positive way, it kind of goes in this side of the brain. And then when you say it in a negative way, it's the same truth, but said in a different way, it goes in a different side of the brain, or at least it goes in a different part of the, the heart. It goes deeper in, and, and I hope so. Now, we talked about joy in the faith, right? The negative way of saying that truth is this. Doubt, the opposite of faith, doubt, and and can I just say really fear? Because if doubt could have a child, they would have a child and you would name it fear. Because it seems like doubt gives birth to fear. Do you ever realize that? It it does. It, It just does. So if faith gives you joy... Doubt, here's the negative way of saying the same truth, doubt and fear robs you of joy. Doubt and fear steals a Christian's joy right out of them. Remember the bubble, I mean the balloon I'm popping, it's just popping, it's bursting, and it's deflating you. And so when you're filled with faith, oh man, you can conquer the world and you're full of joy. But when there's doubt, and that doubt leads to fear, all of a sudden you just deflate of all your joy. What kind of doubt? Sometimes it's subtle doubt. It's the kind of doubt that's kind of just operates in the back of your brain. Does anybody have anything operating in the back of their brain right now? Well, stop it. Pay attention. <laughs> but a lot of times we go through life and there's this, this gnawing stress, this gnawing pressure, this gnawing doubt, this gnawing fear that's just kind of deep-seated either in our heart and the back of our brain. And that's the kind of doubt that I'm talking about. You doubt that God really, I'm emphasizing that, He really cares for you. That little feeling that you, you, you doubt that God really loves you. Oh, he loves everybody else, but he can't love me. No, you doubt that God really has your best interest at heart. Because of your circumstances, you doubt his kindness. Because of your trials, you doubt his goodness. Because of your tribulations, you doubt his power or his protection. So way back in the part par of your, that brain, doubting God's love, doubting God's character, doubting God's word, his promises, his plan, his purpose, it will steal your joy, robs your joyfulness, and rips off your peace and contentedness. So last week was all about having your, that your faith produces joy in you, and doubt and fear will take you to Depression City. How many of you have ever been to Depression City? Oh yeah, you know the street names, Dysfunction. Dysfunction is there. Stinking thinking are like two streets that collide, and that's Depression City. You know when you're, 
when you've got doubt, that's gonna, it's going to steal your joy. So let me introduce today's message, the joy of unity, by stating it also in a negative way so it will stick in your heart and mind just a little bit more. And by the way, if doubt or its child fear was like a number one stealer of joy, this has to be almost number two. This is almost number two, and that is this. Selfishness is a robber of joy. Being self-centered robs you of your joy. It robs you. you do you know you can rob your own joy by being self-centered? So, you know where, let me say it this way. Where do you think feeling sorry for yourself leads to? Let me say that again. Where do you really think feeling sorry for yourself, because that's self-centeredness, feeling sorry for yourself really leads to? It's not joy. It's not peace. It's not contentedness. Now, many people today do not have joy, and they're miserable because they are selfish. And I, I got a prop here today. <clears throat> what is this? Right? This is what you do. You put it on, and then you plug it in. I'm not going to plug it in. But this is, this is it, right? Now, this is a little wobbly because I, I really don't know how to do it. And then you have to push the button, right? This is called a selfie stick. So I can take a picture of who? Of myself. Who's in the background? I don't know. Here. Who's in the background? But who's number one? Who's in the foreground? I am. I think the selfie stick is the icon of our culture today. Would you, not, would you agree with that? Say amen. Why was it invented? So you can operate the camera yourself and you can make sure you get the best picture in the shot, right? So crazy. Now I'm not against selfie sticks. But I do think that it is that icon. I don't want a picture, I don't want to take a picture of you. I want to take a picture of me. And maybe you can be included, right? Doesn't that sound like the heart of our culture today? Listen to the heart of our culture today. I don't care about you. I care only about me. What I think, what I believe, what I feel. And I can't wait to post it on Facebook or tweet it or Instagram it because life is all about me. But let's look at our text now. Okay, so that's the premise of today. Actually, the, op- the truth, but the opposite, being said oppositely. So let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're beginning chapter 2. And let's look with positive eyes so we can see the joy of unity which is the opposite of the selfishness that robs people of their joy beginning at verse 1 we're going to read all four verses I'm reading out of the ESV you will have probably a different translation but let's flow with this so if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Let me just give you the very first fill in the blank. Here's the first fill in the blank. The why. The motivation behind the joy of unity is going to be found in in the very first verse. And before we get there, I want to answer the the, why, why are we going this route to explain it. Well, the why is because, well, I just said it. (laughs) Why questions are usually answered with the sentence beginning with because. Why did you sleep so long? Because I was tired. Why did you not eat? Because I wasn't hungry. Why are you late? Because I got stuck in traffic. So the why tells you the motivation or the reason why behind the joy of unity. Why questions are usually answered this way with because. Because is so we'll st- behind the because will state the reason of the why. So this verse can be a little confusing because of the word if. Some of your translations begin with if, right? Some of them might start with since. Some of them might start with therefore. Now let me just tell you a little bit about these Greeks that that wrote and and Paul who wrote this. The Greeks had three ways to say if. Three ways. The first if meant, well, it uh, could be true. If it rains today, it, it, it could be true. If, the second one is, it might be true. It might be true. And then the third if is called a first condition. Uh, and that means it is true and it's a fact. And a lot of times translators will use the word since, but a better word is the word because. Because this is why we're doing this. And so I have rewritten, with your permission, the, the first verse with since and because, because that's truer to the meaning to our uh, context today or to our our uh, age today since Christ is encouraging because there is comfort from his love since you have experienced the fellowship of the Holy Spirit because of his affection and sympathy and then he says make my joy complete by being of the same but there are some things here that are really good they're really good because there are four motivations and the joy of unity. Four reasons to be joyful, really. If you want to put that, four reasons to be joyful. And you can see that I've left just one, two, three, four on your outline. But the first one is in our text, and that is an encouragement. There is encouragement in Jesus. There's an encouragement in Christ. The word means even in your troubles, Jesus is there putting his strong arm around you. He's right next to you. He's carrying you. He's helping you. Remember the footprints in the sand when we talked about that several weeks ago? That's this word played out. Jesus has been an encouragement to you because he's right next to you. So that's number one. Number two is, according to the text, there is great comfort in his love. Second reason to be joyful? Because you're loved. 
You can face anything. You can face anything if you know you're loved. Marriages can get through the roughest patches. Can you say amen, Tammy? Amen. I say it too. A marriage can get through the roughest patch if the couple knows they love one another deep down inside. And there is great comfort in Jesus' love, his forgiveness, his mercy, his tenderness, his grace. He loves you. Want a reason to be joyful? Be joyful because Jesus is right next to you. Be joyful because he loves you. How many of you knew this song as a little kid? I'm going to botch it, but you can sing along with me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Man, we learned that as little itty-bitty guys because that is joyful. To know that the God, the creator of this universe, who spoke it into existence, loves you. Boy, that gets you up in the morning, doesn't it? He loves you. And since you have experienced, number three is this, since you have third reason to be joyful, since you've experienced the participation or the fellowship of the Spirit, and and by the word, that word is koinonia, and you've heard that before, it means communion, a sharing, a partnership, that the Spirit is there to guide you, to give a witness to your spirit. He's there to give you wisdom, and he intercedes for you when you pray, when you don't even know how to pray, and you're just like, oh, God, God, where are you? The Spirit is there interceding on your behalf. Man, that's something to get excited about. He is the one that comforts us in our spirit. I'm, I'm going to pick on Ileana and, and Ryan for just a second. Not pick on, but use them as an example since what happened to them this week. When Dylan got hurt, did you just say, uh, suck it up, Nancy? Did you tell him, suck it up, Nancy? No, what did you do? You took that child in your arms, didn't you? You comforted that child. All of us have comforted our children before, haven't we? Or comforted another child. Or comforted another human being. That's what this verse is saying. That the Holy Spirit, your fellowship with Him, your koinonia with Him, He has come alongside you and has been a great source of comfort. You might not have known where that comfort was coming from, But that was the Holy Spirit taking you up in his arms, into his lap. The fourth one out of this is affection and sympathy. Fourth reason to be joyful. Now you have to love your children, right? But you don't always have to like them. (laughs) There are times when we didn't like our children. Let's be honest, right? We didn't like our children. We loved them, but we didn't like them. But you know what's interesting? He uses the word affection. Go back to the text. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, that talks about feelings. Do you know that the Holy Spirit likes you? He actually likes you. He knows all of your ugliness. He knows all of your warts. He knows all of your failings. But he still, miracle of miracle, likes me. Blows my mind. Poo. Go like this. Everybody just go, poo. He likes you. He likes you. 
Affection is a feeling, a, lo- a, a longing, a deep, deeply felt affection. Or the apple of his eye. And, and he's sympathetic. He's not telling you to get over it. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. When you're in pain, when you're in trouble, when you're, suffer- when you're suffering... He has a sympathetic ear. Have you ever been in search of sympathy? Oh, people do it all the time on Facebook. I want sympathy. I want sympathy, right? But you really need some sympathy today. Do you know he's the one that gives you real sympathy? He really knows what you're feeling because Jesus experienced everything that you've experienced and he knows exactly how you're feeling right now and he can come along and give you empathy and he can give you sympathy. Man, wow, four reasons to be joyful. Four reasons. Let's look at that. Can you go backwards and see that slide again? Since Christ is encouraging, oh, he's right there next to you because there's comfort from his love. Since you've experienced the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and because of his great affection and sympathy for you, he goes on and look in the text, verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Let's do the next fill in the blank. And it's the what. The what is the signs of joy and unity. Being of the same mind, there are three attributes that he, he just writes in our text. This stuff is really super practical that he, he has written to us. There are three things that are just jumping out at you in the text. The what, the signs of joy and unity. It's the opposite of what we find in Judges. Remember in Judges when everybody was going crazy, it says everybody did what was right in their own eyes. This is the opposite of that. There's unity coming together. Joy is going to flow when we, the church, are on the same sheet music, playing the same tune in harmony. And there are these three things that define the same-mindedness this supernatural unity that brings us joy. Number one, you probably already guessed it, it's the same love. There's not going to be a slide, it's just one, two, three. We have the same kind of love. Quantity and quality. Not, I love you a lot, I don't love you a lot. No, it's the same measure of love poured out upon everybody. We don't play favorites, in other words. You start playing favorites, you'll start stealing your joy. You start loving people equally, quality-wise, quantity-wise, you start, it, your joy is going to come up. There's no favorites or judging who is worthy of your love. You, me, all of us love one another with a great quality. And that kind of love, and you know it's the word agape, it's a willful kind of love to do good to another person. When we have that same kind of love, it fills our, lo- our, our joy bucket. It just fills it up. Se- second thing, he says, not only having the same love, but he says, in my version, it says, in full accord. Some of yours would say in agreement or maybe united in spirit. I actually like that translation better because it's more closer to what the text says, being united in spirit. The word literally means one-souled. How many of you feel like you have a, a kindred spirit? There's somebody in this world that you, you and them are just like this, this type. You can pick it up 20 years later without talking or seeing each other and it's like your best friends again. Do you have somebody like that? 
I mean, you just walk into their life again and you are so close because you're one. It's like you're so united. You're so, in, let me say it this way, you're so in sync. You're just in sync. Kindred spirit, a soul brother. Beautiful harmony between people. More than friendship, but a camaraderie. It means being united in spirit, united in their infections. Have you ever heard a pop song about, or maybe it's in literature, about two hearts beating in one? Doesn't that sound so romantic? Two hearts beating as one. You know, but you've taken a child before, and Scott, you've probably been able to do this. You take little Corey, and you put Corey on your chest, and you can feel your heart beating, and you can feel her heart beating, and then if they get in sync, what happens? Ooh, you just kind of get all full of joy. Because that's that being united in spirit. That's the concept that you are so in agreement, united together. And then the third thing is this, one mind. The, it, that means really about uh, purpose. Speaks of, of having, you know, same mind is like mindedness, but one mind meaning you have the same purpose. Minding the one thing, really. Um, so be of the same mind, minding the same thing. And the joy that comes from unity looks like this. Same mind, same love, united in spirit with one purpose. And people who think alike? Well, because we're all trying to think like Jesus. People who love everybody, no grudges, no anger, no agendas. United in spirit, no separate agendas, but in full accord with one purpose. To live in faith being transformed to the glory of Jesus. Let me say that again. To live in faith, being transformed to the glory of Jesus. Now, can you see the opposite of what selfishness is? Why selfishness destroys your joy? Selfishness wants its own way. And when it doesn't get its own way, it gets angry. Selfishness gets mad. Selfishness gets controlling selfishness gets divisive it gets jealous it gets greedy it gets petty selfishness gets petty when it gets doesn't get its own way can you help me connect with you say with me petty say it again one two three petty even the word sounds petty doesn't it selfishness drives pettiness it doesn't drive joy it drives pettiness do you realize that once you become selfish, you are now at odds with everybody in your life? How is that going to bring you joy? How is that going to bring you united and, and of one love and one, one purpose and, and, and united in spirit if your selfishness is going to be war at war with everybody? So... That's not like-mindedness. That's not same love. That's, that's not having one purpose. Well, let's go back to the text, and then we'll do the last fill in the blank. Let's read the text, though. Go look at verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of of others. This is really practical stuff. It's the how. That's the fill in the blank is the how. And so Paul's going to give us four aspects of that. The way to unity and joy. First of all, and, and by the way, 
Can I warn you that this may prick your heart? Because, you know, when we read the, this, oh, selfish ambition, I don't have selfish ambition. I'm not conceited. Ho, 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 that's what I thought. Until I read the definitions. Until I got down deep into what Paul was really saying. And it shocked me, and it confronted me, and it rebuked me that selfish ambition isn't what I thought it was. Selfish ambition is Khloe Kardashian. You know, conceited is uh, Howard Hughes or, or somebody else, somebody out there that, that is super conceited. John McEnroe, I don't know, I'm reaching into the past here. But the bottom line is, that's not what those words mean, what we have puffed it up to be. Because when we puff it up to be, we can say, I don't have any, Mitchell, you don't have any selfish ambition. Mitch, you're, I'm picking on both Mitchells, you're not conceited. Wait, wait, let's read, let's, let's find out what these words actually mean. First of all, he gives us the four things. The first one is do nothing from selfish ambition. Literally, this is what the word means. Seeking to win followers. What does that mean? Seeking to win followers. You try to win people over to your way because your way is right. Your way is best. You've thought this all out. Selfish ambitions mean you go and you talk other people into doing it your way. Are you guilty? Am I the only one? In other words, you're willing to cause strife. You're willing to cause division if it means you'll get your way. At work, in the marriage, with your neighborhood, with your bank, with the people that you do business with, you're willing to cause division and strife so that you can get your own way. Kind of puts a different spin on selfish ambition, doesn't it? Because it's very manipulative. And it happens everywhere. Selfish ambition. I want to have things my way, and I will try to convince you, seeking to win followers, because it's my way or the highway. We all know it, don't we? It's my way or the highway. That's selfish ambition. Not, oh, I want to become a superstar, or I want to do this, or I think I'm... No, 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 no. He is talking about you want other people to follow your way. So you don't have to go their way. Second thing, this word conceit, pride personal glory, literally empty glory. This person is right and everyone else is wrong. That's what it means to be this kind of conceited. Not, oh, I'm so awesome, worship me. Conceited means I'm right and you're wrong. How many times does that happen in a marriage? Husband says, I'm right and you're wrong. Maybe not verbally. Are we brave enough to do it verbally, Lawrence? We don't ever say, you're wrong, I'm right. But that's what this word is referring to, that you think you're always right. Selfish ambition is about getting your way. Conceitedness is about always having to be right, or at least arrogantly claiming to be right, and everyone else is a jerk. Did I say that? That's what we think sometimes. I'm right, and everybody else is wrong. Everybody else doesn't know what they're talking about. Everyone else is a jerk. Oh, that is conceitedness. 
talk about bursting your joy bubble, selfish ambition and having to be right all of the time will kill unity and will steal your joy. Now, that's what's two negatives that Paul gave us, but now he's going to tell us how to have unity, but in a positive way, how to have joy. Third one is this. We only got two left. In humility, look at the text. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Do you know the Greeks didn't even have a word for humility because the concept was so repulsive to them? The Greek culture, and includes the Roman culture, they prized at being at the top of the heap. They all struggled to get to the top of the heap. They all wanted prestige. They all wanted power. They all wanted to be the top dog. And they didn't even have a word to describe the guys down at the bottom, the lowly. I think Paul invents this word. Jesus really can, does it. And Paul picks up on that. And so humility, though, doesn't mean you think of yourself as a doormat or devalue yourself. It simply means that you don't constantly think about yourself, but you're thinking of others. Uh, Can I give you a working definition? It's nothing profound, but you might want to write it down. It helped me. It might help you. It's just what I came up with. Humility is about promoting others instead of promoting yourself. Humility is about promoting others rather than promoting yourself. God will lift you up, right? Doesn't that what the Word of God says? Humble yourself and He will raise you up. And so humility is not about self-promotion. It is about promoting other others. Joy comes by not constantly running or seeing life through your own me grid, but by valuing others. Think about that. Your joy comes by esteeming and valuing others. That's the opposite of what the world says and thinks, doesn't it? And the fourth one is this. It says, back to the text, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. See, he doesn't say, oh, you're worthless and you don't, ha- you don't have value and meaning. He says, no, let each of you look to your own interest, but just not only to your interest, but also to the interest of others. Say it this way, be concerned for other people. The person coming behind you. Why does your child, why do you not allow him to pick all the flowers in the, in the garden? Because of the people coming behind your child, right? Somebody nod their head, yeah. It's, we're concerned about the people coming behind us. We're concerned about the people on the sides of us. And we're concerned about the people in front of us. That's what it means to be concerned about other people. Joy comes from not exclusively focusing on your needs and wants, but on the needs and wants of others. See, the world, our flesh, the old person before we came to Christ, in order to be happy, we had to focus constantly on ourselves. Your needs, your wants, your desires, your thoughts, your accomplishments, your feelings, your dreams. And you got to get a really big selfie stick, right? And focus on yourself because it's all about you. Like I said, always in the foreground, never the background. That's what this is saying. 
be in the background. It's okay to be in the background. You know when you're in the background, you get to have your heart filled with joy because it's not about you. God's Word says that joy comes from being others-oriented, thinking about how to help others and actually helping them. And that's what real unity is, a connectedness and the power of the love that Jesus Christ has given us for one another. That's beautiful. It's really beautiful to love. And when we do that, it fills us with joy. Let me pray. Father God,